If you have a Bible uh, in front of you, please turn to uh, Genesis chapter 32. We're going to continue on in the the account of this story of, of Jacob. And this is... All these accounts are are very well known. And I think this one, perhaps even more so than than, than many of the others. I don't think it's possible to reduce the passage by only reading certain verses. So bear with me as I would read the the entire chapter. But what what we find here is this heart struggle that is going on in Jacob's life. As he's reached this point, he knows that God is calling him to go back home. And there's a struggle that is going on in his own heart with himself and with other men, uh, with other people. And there's also ultimately in that there's a a struggle with, with God himself. And I think this is something that we all go through. I mean, we, we, if we're honest and open with ourselves, we, there's aspects about, our, about ourselves that we struggle with, struggle with, with other people. Uh, and ultimately, it goes back to this great struggle at times that we can have with God as God is challenging us and God is speaking to us. As I come to this passage today, I may feel wholly inadequate to be able to, to bring out the truth. And so we're reliant upon God by His Spirit speaking and ministering to our hearts. So maybe even before we read this passage, just to pray that the Lord might use these words. So let's pray. Lord, as we, we turn to Your Word this morning, we want to hear Your voice. We want to hear You speaking to each of us and understanding where we stand and where we are with this. And so that it is clearly you, Lord, has something to say to each of our lives. So take your word and your truth and bring it to our hearts. Amen. Let's read that passage, Genesis 32. Jacob went on his way and the angels of God met him. When Jacob saw them, he said, this is the camp of God. So he named that place Manem. Jacob sent messengers ahead of him to his brother Esau in the land of Seir, the country of Edom. He instructed him, them, this is what you are to say to my Lord Esau. Your servant Jacob says, I have been staying with Laban and have remained there till now. I have cattle and donkeys, sheep and goats, male and female servants. Now I am sending this message to my Lord that I may find favor favor in your eyes. When the messengers returned to Jacob, they said, we went to your brother Esau and now he is coming to meet you with 400 men are with him. In great fear and distress, Jacob divided the people who were with him into two groups and the flocks and the herds and camels as well. He thought if Esau comes and attacks one group, the group that is left may escape. Then Jacob prayed, O God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, Lord, you who said to me, Go back to your country and your relatives, and I will make you prosper. 
I am unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness you have shown to your servant. I had only my staff when I crossed this Jordan. But now I have become two camps. Save me, I pray, from the hand of my brother Esau, for I am afraid he will come and attack me, and also the mothers with their children. But you have said, I will surely make you prosper and will make your descendants like the sand of the sea, which cannot be counted. He spent the night there. And from what he had with him, he selected a gift for his brother Esau, 200 female goats and 20 male goats, 200 ewes and 20 rams, 30 female camels with their young, 40 cows and 10 bulls and 20 female donkeys and 10 male donkeys. He put them in the care of his servants, each herd by itself, and he said to his servants, go ahead of me and keep some space between the herds. He instructed the one in the lead, when my brother Esau meets you and asks, who do you belong to and where you're going and, and who owns all these animals in front of you? Then you are to say, they belong to your servant Jacob. They are a gift sent to my Lord Esau and he is coming behind us. He also instructed the second, the third and all the other who followed the herds. And you are to say the same thing to Esau when you meet him and be sure to say, your servant Jacob is coming behind us. For he thought, I will pacify him with these gifts I am sending on ahead. Later when I see him, perhaps he will receive me. So Jacob's gifts went on ahead of him, but he himself spent the night in the camp. That night, Jacob got up and took his two wives and his two female servants and his 11 sons and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. And after he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left, was left alone. And a man wrestled with him till daybreak. And when the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked, what is your name? And Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, it is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and as he was limping because of his hip. And therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip, because the socket of Jacob's hip was touched near the tendon. And we're going to ask that the Lord again would just add his blessing to his word. Amen. We are better at starting things than we are finishing stuff. In case you aren't aware, uh, it's five weeks time till the new year. And I'm sure you're going to spend those next five weeks thinking about those new year resolutions 
and what you're needing to do, about what diet you're going to do or what exercise that it is that you're, you're going to do. But the problem, of course, as you know with all of that, is that we are better at starting things than finishing things. I was toying with showing a little video clip from about 40 years ago of Arnie Schwarzenegger. Um, and in that, he... Well, he was Mr. Universe at the time, and he was describing the difference between people who are prepared to break through the pain barrier and those who aren't. And he says that those people who break through, well, they're champions like me, he said, and the rest of the people are just wannabes. And it's, it's, it's hard to have the effort and the energy to break through. And even when it comes to who you are, and I'm thinking about this from Jacob's perspective and thinking what would have been going through his mind in these moments. Because I believe that all of us, we, we all probably want to be better, put it like that, very human way of looking at it, but we want to be better than we are. And we struggle with that. Some of us here maybe are uptight about decisions that we've made in the past, like Jacob. Decisions or actions that we have, that we've made and done. And sometimes when it comes for that change, even though we, we want change, we're not prepared to do anything about it because we're not prepared for that deep pain that Arnie Schwarzenegger may have been talking about. And because that inner struggle at times can be so deep and so painful, we're not ready for it. And perhaps that's the reason for some of the train wrecks that we see in people's lives, because even as God may have been working in someone's life and challenging people that we still, we, we weren't ready for it. And so like many of the people are mentioned in the Bible, we, we just turn and we walk away. That could be something. But I want to try and learn something from, from Jacob's life. And as I was hinting earlier, there's, there's something as God was working in Jacob's life that reveals the struggle of all of that. When God is really speaking. In some ways, we can, we can think of that uh, about struggling with ourselves, who we are, what we've done, where, we, where, we've, where we've come from. Uh, Ryan was reminding the kids earlier that Jacob could be described as a bit of a cheater, a schemer, someone who tried to make things happen himself. In other words, he wasn't prepared to hang around and simply wait for God's leading in his life, even though he, he, he knew the blessings of God, these blessings that had come through his grandfather and his father and into his life. And even though he, he heard that himself, he, he still wasn't prepared simply to trust in it. He, he felt he had, he had to scheme and he had to manipulate. And when it came to the blessing of God, he felt he had to steal that. Uh, all his life he's been feeling that he has to prize the blessings of God out of God's hand because God's not really prepared to give it to him, he feels. 
So now he's coming back and he's a, he's a, a rich man, but he's still facing up to these, this inner angst. And as I was maybe saying a few moments ago, this could be something that you might resonate with. Maybe something that you've experienced personally, that as you're following God's leading and you're wanting to move where God is, is challenging you to move, one aspect of that might be a very a, a human angst to put things right that are wrong, whether it's in terms of how we live, something that we're we've done to another person, there may be a place where we're saying is that we need to put that right. And putting those things right is not easy. And so for Jacob's own good and his own sanity, as it were, he needs to put right the things that he's done wrong. So he needs to put right what he's done with, with Esau. But even here, if, if you read verses, maybe verses three through to five, he describes in these verses a very elaborate scheme. And what he's doing here is that he's sending gifts forward and he's sending bits of his, of his possessions forward. And in some ways, it's another scheme. It's another bit of manipulation because he knows he's going to be anxious about his brother and what his brother's going to do. So it's like he's got a plan to make life more difficult for his brother so his brother won't be able to attack him as, as readily and as easily as he might have if he's having to look after a whole crowd of donkeys and a whole crowd of cattle and a whole crowd of people and these people are going to keep him back. And so he's scheming and he's manipulating again. And particularly when you remember, remember the words of Rachel, Jacob's mom, when she said to him, look, because of what you've done, you're going to need to run away. So you need to go away from home and you need to go away from home. How long did she say? Until Esau settles down, until he loses his temper. Now, in verse six, the answer the initial answer comes back from Jacob's own men as to how they find Esau. They've met him. And what's happening? He's coming with 400 men. Now that does not sound like a man who's got over a grudge. So he's got every reason to, to be anxious. So again, try and put yourself now in Jacob's shoes. And the thoughts maybe that Jacob might rightly have, or would you have if you were in this boat? Because you might find yourself, here I am, and I'm going now to try and put right what was wrong. And I'm genuinely trying to do the right thing. And this is what I believe God wants me to do. And yet, here it is. And I, why is it all going wrong? God, why does this have to happen like this? I, I'm genuinely trying to put the things right and I'm being misunderstood. It's so hard when you want to try and put a human relationship right and it doesn't seem to be working. And maybe the response that you might make if you were in that situation is that it's just not worth it and I'm just not going to do it and I'm going to move away and I'm going to forget all about it. And it could be that that's a thought that you've had or you're having. 
And because it, you feel it's just too much effort, you believe that, that even God's is being like an obstacle in all of this, that you're just not going to do this. And I want to give you some form of encouragement from Jacob's encounter with God. Because as this chapter begins, what we have a sense of from the outset is that this is God is in this. In verse one, it says, Jacob went on his way and the angels of God met him. And it's significant because Jacob is at, he's at the, the crossroads, as it were. He, he, he's at the border. He's at, the, he's at the, the Jordan River. He's about to cross. And this mirrors exactly where he was 20 years earlier when he was going in the opposite direction, when he was running away. And it was at that point, again, that God met him, that God spoke to him, and that God gave him reassurance for the future. And it's just like God is saying to him at this crucial point in his life, Jacob, what you need to have reminded yourself of is that for that entire 20-year period, even though you were out of the promised land and you might have wondered what was happening, is that that whole episode has been bracketed by my presence with you because I am reminding you that I am with you right now. And so all that time, I am with you. It's, it's like the psalmist at times when the psalmist says that the angel of the Lord encamps around his people. So when, even when you're anxious about that and when you're fearful about that, you have that assurance and you have that promise. And so God is saying to, to Jacob, even through the ups and downs of life, even in those moments when your uncle Laban was scheming and he was cheating you and you thought life was a disaster and that everything was upside down is that I was in the midst of that. And Jacob, beyond that, you didn't need to resort to cheating. You didn't need to manipulate. You didn't need to try and squeeze blessings out of other people's hands or even my hands because Jacob, I had promised that I was going to bless you. And that's, it is, a, it is a tough lesson for us all because we all go through those moments where we, we struggle. We humanly struggle with, with stuff. And we struggle because we can't see what God's doing. And don't we need a reminder from God that God is still at work in our lives and what's happening? You remember the account of Elisha and Elisha's servant and they were surrounded by their enemies. And Elisha's servant comes out and he sees the chariots and he sees the horses and he's petrified. And Elisha prays and the eyes of his, servants, of his servant is opened. And Elisha says to him and reminds him that those who are with us, well, it's greater than those who are against us because he sees the chariots of fire and the horses of fire belonging to God behind his enemy. Or the words of Jesus where Jesus says, greater is he who is in you than he that is in the world. Our preference might be for a physical army that we can see and that we can touch, but that's not the way of faith and that God challenges us to, that we trust him. And so even though it, we struggle with this humanly and we struggle with our relationships and we struggle from a human perspective about how we can see our way through things, it might get even worse if we have a sense that as well as that, we actually struggle with God. 
because Jacob that night expected to spend the night alone. But in this story, he has this strange encounter with a man who suddenly appears. And then this man wrestles with him. And it becomes apparent at the end of the story that this is no ordinary man. But as Jacob says, I think it's there at verse 30 at the end of the, of the, end of the passage, is that this is God. But what I really want you to look at is verse 26, because I think this is the center of, of this encounter. Before he realizes that it is God, in verse 26, the man said to him, let me go for it's daybreak. Now, if our understanding that what we have in this picture is a man wrestling with God, so he's wrestling in prayer, that we might say. And the question is, what would have happened here if Jacob had let him go? And the man says, right, it's enough. I've tapped out. I want to go free. And Jacob says, no, you're not going to go free until you bless me. What's that all about? You know, in some ways, it's a bit like God is testing him. And I think sometimes God does that, where he, he, he challenges us. If I go back to Arnie Schwarzenegger's phrase, though he may not be aware I'm using it, breaking through the pain barrier, clinging on and praying on, because sometimes God doesn't just give us the answer immediately when we want it, but that he challenges us to pray on through the night or even longer. I'm going to read a verse from Mark's Gospel, chapter 6 and verse 48 now. This is an incident when the disciples of Jesus were in a boat in the middle of a storm and Jesus is on the shore and Jesus can see them. So the disciples are petrified. I'm gonna read verse 48, Mark chapter six. It says that Jesus saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. And shortly before the dawn, he went out to them. Walking on the lake, he was about to walk past them. Now, Think about that. Jesus is on the shoreline and he leaves the shore to go towards that boat with no other intention than to help them. But what you read in that verse is it says that he was about to walk past them. Now, why would he do that? Why would he, if he wants to go to them, actually pretend to walk past them? Is it because he, he's wanting them to recognise that they, they really need Jesus, they need to reach out to Jesus, they, they need to cling on to Jesus and to know that they want to really go through, as it were, that pain barrier and to, and to encounter Jesus? And Jesus does exactly the same in another incident which you will be very familiar with, with the two disciples who were walking on the road to Emmaus. Remember that time after Jesus had been crucified, 
and risen again, and then these two disciples are, are making their way, and then the stranger comes alongside them. And the, the stranger comes uh, alongside them, and they, they have a conversation, but they, they are, they're not permitted to see who this actually is. And so they get to their destination. And again, this one whom they don't recognize, but it's Jesus, he actually makes to go on because in verse 28 of Luke 24, it says, as they approached the, vis the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us because day is almost over. What would have happened if they had those guys had said, well, it's been a great conversation, bye, see you later they never would have encountered that it actually was Jesus who was walking alongside them. Jesus, God, and challenges us at times, maybe even in prayer, to break through that barrier, not to stop short. As we maybe think that through ourselves, the Lord could be teaching us something, that maybe if there is something in you've been praying about and you're not getting the answer immediately that you've heard and that you want and that what God is saying is that he wants you to pray through that barrier and to keep on praying until the dawn, until the light shines. And perhaps we just might shrug our shoulders and say, well, look, if it's not happening tomorrow, it's not happening yet, obviously God doesn't want me to, to have this or doesn't want this to happen and so I'll, I'll just not bother. And yet Jeremiah 29, 13 says, the Lord says, if you want to know the Lord, if you seek him with all your heart, then you will find him. But what would happen if at the first instance we hear, let me go, and we let him go? Now, what's the, the point of this incident? Maybe it's a reminder of what Jacob did here. It is a strange passage. And yet what we see that happens in Jacob's life is that Jacob doesn't give up and Jacob doesn't run away. And that God may have been testing his commitment to the promise and yet he realized he needed God more than anything. And he wanted to encounter God, the reality of God. And yet maybe for a lot of us at times we stop short of encountering what God really wants to bring into our situation. And if we are very honest, sometimes in the midst of it, it can be really hard to work out what God is up to and that we struggle with that. But I want to remind you in this story of how God was reminding Jacob that every moment of his life had been bookended by the reality and the presence of God even though there may be times when he doubted that and, did, and wasn't assured of that, is that he knew that God was planning and looking after and doing everything. I was reminded of a story of a woman, I don't even know what her surname is in the, in the story that I read. Uh, she's called Brenda, or was called Brenda. And with a group of friends, she had gone out rock climbing. She didn't particularly enjoy rock climbing, but her friends had paid for it and they were all going to do this, this fun day. And so she was there. She's a bit anxious about it. And even more anxious, I suppose, halfway up the rock face when she sort of stops for a bit of a breather at a ledge. She's, I guess, hundreds of feet up and 
you may say, also hundreds of feet down because she's only halfway up. And then the, the, the rope, the safety rope that's uh, attached to her snaps against her eye and knocks out her contact lens. So now she's feeling even worse because all she can see is a blurry mess. And she's sort of praying in the midst of this, Lord, help me, I need to be able to see to get, to get out of this. And she's looking around, can't find this contact lens anywhere. And eventually she sort of gets her way up and her friends haul her up and they check her over and they can't find this contact lens anywhere at all. And so she sits down pretty despondent and yet she looks over what she, the, the hills and the mountains are around her and is very aware in those moments that if the Lord can see all of that, then there's not a leaf and there's not a, a blade of grass that the Lord cannot see and is not aware of. And if that's the case, then she says, Lord, then, then you can help me. Uh, they eventually make their way down, walking down a little bit, and they meet, meet some hill walkers coming up. And uh, their first question to them is say, hey, none of you guys lose a contact lens, did you? And it wasn't the, simply the fact that they had found a contact lens, but the manner in which they found the contact lens because they saw a little ant carrying a contact lens. And Brenda's dad was a cartoonist, and he then drew this cartoon. And he says, Lord, imagining the, the ant thinking to itself, I don't know why you want me to carry this thing. I can't eat it, it's awful heavy. But if this is what you want me to do, I'll do it. And does God ever deal with us in a manner like that? I think sometimes he does. But even in our weakness, we remember that Jesus is with us. And Jesus is one who, not only did he wrestle with men, but he wrestled with God. In the garden, at the cross, if I remind you of the, of the verse in, in Matthew chapter 26 and verse 39, where Jesus, it says, going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and he prayed, my father, is it possible? May this cup be taken from me, but not as I will, but as you will. Matthew chapter 27 and verse 46, about three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? After having struggled with men and finally struggling with God and wrestling with God, Jesus in those moments wrestled with God, not simply coming away with a limp, but gave his life. His body was literally broken and his body was broken for us. And he did it not simply to get a blessing for himself, but to get and to gain a blessing for all of us so that we could know eternal life and the presence of God. So even in our weaknesses and in our struggles, we don't look to ourselves, we don't look to other people, but we look to the Lord himself. And we look to the cross. And we find and encounter God. And so my encouragement in just looking at this passage, and I know that I've been no way uh, done it justice with the words that, that I have, but to, that you might find your strength, 
your reassurance in God, in the cross, in prayer. I'm going to invite the musicians on stage. And just as they come, I'm, I'm going to pray again. Uh, the words that we're going to sing, it, it, it is a new song. We'll not know it terribly well. And in many ways, we can say that I'm mixing up all my metaphors here and going to another Old Testament character and thinking about something different. But the image that is at the root of it is finding this satisfaction, this contentment, this blessing that is found in God. And ultimately, this blessing is an abundant blessing. So I'm going to encourage you to stand and to sing and to uh, sing our best with these words and find that God ministers to us. I'm also going to remind you that at the end over here, uh, if you want someone to pray with you or, or for uh, someone in your life or a situation in your life, there are people here and they want to pray with you and they, they want to encourage you. And they want to, to pray that blessing of God into your life and into the lives of others that you are, you are concerned about. Uh, so let's pray and then we'll sing this song. Let's, let's pray. Lord, our God, you are this great and amazing, wonderful, caring, loving God who chooses to bless us. There may be many moments, Lord, when we struggle. Struggle with what we feel we have been dealt or how we have been dealt with in this world. But Lord, you call us to encounter you. You call us to meet you, to wrestle with you. And Lord, may we do that in the assurance that we know that we, will, that we will receive this blessing of your presence with us. We may not understand before or after or what's happening, but Lord, we want to meet you in the midst of it. So Lord, hear us. Amen.